Let me start by saying, what if the majority of church members in America believe that they are saved, but in fact are lost? Counterfeit Christianity. So let's define counterfeit. What is it? Counterfeit is something that looks real, but in fact it's a fraud. We've got counterfeit money. We've got counterfeit Louis Vuitton ladies' purses. Don't, don't raise your hand. We have counterfeit men's Rolex watches. It looks like the $15,000 deal, but in fact, it's a $20 fraud. A counterfeit Christian is someone who has a crucifix around their neck, but, but does not have Christ in their heart. They have the symbol, but they don't have the Savior. They have the Bible in their hand, but it never affects their speech, and it never affects their choices. It never affects their habits. They just have the Bible in their hand. The Bible says in James 1.22 through 24, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do those things I ask you to do? In Luke 6. You, and then he goes on to say, you are my disciples if you do whatsoever I ask you to do. Because this is one message all Christians, including myself, must understand. It's not what you believe that makes you a Christian. It's what you can obey. I'll say it again. It's not what you believe that makes you a Christian. It's what you can obey. Counterfeit Christians believe. They just don't obey. The rich young ruler came to Christ and said, I want to be one of your 12. In fact, he did believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And Jesus said, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that he went away exceedingly sorrowful because he had great possessions. He believed Jesus was the Son of God, but he just couldn't obey him. And let me say this. When you give up what you deserve, God will give you more than you dreamed. You have to do it to, to God's biblical standards, but you cannot, you absolutely cannot outgive God. In James 2.19, it says, Demons believe and tremble at the name of Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They just don't obey Him. Counterfeit Christians believe. They just don't obey. And until we obey, we're not a disciple of Christ. Counterfeit Christians want to feel good without being good. They want the pastor to explain their sin, not to suggest that they should confess their sin, just explain it to me. Counterfeit Christians take no stand on the tough issues facing America. They waffle on the abortion issue. They waffle on the same-sex marriage issue. They don't care that there's an attack on the Ten Commandments. They're A-W-O-L in the war against Christianity. They want change, but they don't want conflict. They want success, but they don't want the struggle. They love the ritual, but they don't want to hear about righteousness and holiness in which no man shall see the Lord. They want the crown, but they don't want, the, they don't want to bear the cross in which it produces the crown. They want Sunday morning to be a glee club, a happy pill, a spiritual happy pill that can send them out the door singing about a heaven they're never going to see. 1 John 2 and 4 says, and this just, I, I'm sure none of us have this on our refrigerator. It says, he who says, I know him, meaning Jesus, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
This is a death blow to those who live in sin and say the blood of Christ covers their ungodliness. That's what the Dakes Bible says. So they keep, so they keep a bottle of liquor or stash some beer hidden on hand just in case they get tempted. Or they keep a porn website or some pornography ready for use just in case the tempter shows up. Paul writes this, and he's speaking to the church. He says in 1 Corinthians 5.11, he says, Now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, don't even eat with such a person. That's what Paul said. Most people in America are living in spiritual deception. Why? Because they've confused religion with relationship. I'll give you, I'll, I'll define it for you. Re- religion always portrays a false way to paradise. Think about it. But a relationship with Jesus Christ takes you straight to the cross for God's plan of redemption for your life and for mine. So religious people, they've mastered the ritual, but they've never They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They profess Christ, but they don't possess Christ. They know about Christ, but they don't know Christ. And there's a world of difference between those two positions. There's a difference between ceremony and confession of sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So until we confess our sin and receive God the Father through Jesus Christ, our name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. I can't say it any clearer than that. The Bible says, let a man, like Pastor said, let a man examine himself to see that he be of the faith. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.18 that if the righteous are barely saved, what chance will the the godless and the sinner have? It's very clear. You need to know that you know Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, and this is Jesus talking here. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father, which is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, many, as in the majority, will come to me in that day, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name, now, now think about that. These are people that are proclaiming to know Jesus. He says, in thy name have we not cast out demons and, and, and done many wonders in your name. And then Jesus will declare to them. And every time I read this, it just sends the hair up on my neck. It says, and I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. I looked up the word new in the Greek, and it says, never had an intimate relationship with them. The Word of God is a document of spiritual authority. The church is not a democracy. We don't come to church to vote on the will of God. The will of God is here, right here. This is it. This is the will of God. The will of God is here. We come to church to obey the Word of God. So listen, when you reject truth of God's Word, all that's left is a lie. When you reject faith in God you, and, and faith in Jesus Christ, you, you embrace fear. When you reject hope, In Jesus, you choose depression. When you reject love, you choose hatred. When you reject the Holy Spirit, you choose an evil spirit to invade your life. Nothing in between. When you reject Jesus Christ, his message, 
you choose Antichrist, Satan himself, the life of spiritual darkness, nothing in between. It's deception. The Bible says in Malachi 3, 16 through 17, this is the amplified version, it says, And then those who feared the Lord, feared the Lord, talked often to one another, and the Lord listened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written. You hear that? A book of remembrance was written for him, of, uh, of him, of those who reverenced and worshipfully feared the Lord and who thought on his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in that day, when I publicly recognize and openly declare them to be my jewels, my special possession, a peculiar treasure, and I will spare them. You hear that right there? I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So let me read this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. This is Paul speaking. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clear, with, with him, Jesus, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus isn't coming to earth on his second coming. We're going to meet him in the air. People get this mixed up with tri the tribulation. No, Jesus isn't coming to earth. We're going to meet him in the air. You, got, you, 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 you can't read over that. You've got to see those words. People, they don't see that. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord in the air. So let me ask you a question. Will every person who claims to be a Christian go in the rapture of the church, the catching away, the gathering together? Because you do have a problem if you say that everyone that, that just claims to be a Christian is going. Here's your problem. Okay, ready? It's the parables of Jesus. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It says, why, okay, listen, why do you have ten virgins? They're all virgins, but five have extra oil and five have no oil. Five go into the marriage supper and five do not if everybody's going. Matthew 24, what do you do with the servant parable? where two servants invest their money properly and are allowed the blessing of God and the reward, but one hid his Lord's money, would not do what the Lord instructed him to do, and they were left behind in outer darkness if everybody's going. What do you do with Luke 12, 35 through 48? What do you do with the parable of the unfaithful servant and the faithful servant? He knew who his master was to be qualified to be a servant, Right? So let me, let me read that for you. It's Luke 12, 35 through 40. This is the New Living Translation. It says, be ready for the Lord's coming. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to, to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting, you see that word, ready? And waiting for his return will be rewarded. I will tell you the truth himself. will set with them. Put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. He, and then he says, he may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. 
if, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You, you must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is, is that the illustration f- for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is, is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of ma- managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't come back for a while? As in the rapture, he's not coming back. Hey, man, I'm just going to go out and do what I want, go do some partying. I got all the time in the world, right? And then he says, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And then in verse 47, he says, and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished, but someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return, and when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The more you know and disobey, the more punishment is what he's saying. So when you read the parables of Jesus, you've got two different groups. Those raptured, were overcomers. Those who remain are non-overcomers. Those raptured, they were victorious. Those who remain, they were defeated. Those raptured were profitable. Those who remain were unprofitable. Those raptured, they were ready. Those who remain, not ready. Those raptured, watching. Those who remain, not watching. Those raptured, they were praying. Those who remain, prayerless. Those raptured were spotless. Those who remain, soiled garments. Those raptured, they were believing. Those who remain, unbelieving. There are special blessings for those who love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to unto all them also that love his appearing. That love his appearing. Titus 2. Titus chapter 2, 13 through 14, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. There's that word, appearing, of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto him himself a, a, pecu- a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Hebrews 9, chapter 9, 28 through 29. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of, of many, and unto them that look for him, that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So it's very clear. If you're not looking for him, he's not coming for you. This explains why some are overcomers in the church, the first fruits of the harvest. Some remain and die martyrs in the tribulation, Revelation 6. Some make their robes white and come through the great tribulation. I studied this, and it just, I don't know, it, 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 it didn't set well with me. It says, Revelation seven fourteen, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and said unto me, These 
are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. The catching away and the gathering together is a blessed hope. It is a reward for faithfulness and striving for the goal and running the race to the end. Jesus said, they that endure to the end shall be saved. To be ready for his return, this is what we got to do. I got six lines here. First, we got to confess our sins through Jesus Christ to God the Father. Number two, we must fear God. Number three, we must watch and pray. Number four, we must remain faithful to God's word. Number five, we must discipline your body, soul, and spirit. We must witness given finances and faithful in church, the bride of Christ. That's what we are. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Jesus tells us many times to watch therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour. He says that in Matthew 25, and he says it in Matthew 24. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We do not know. Only God the Father knows. Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So when you go back in Genesis and you see what the days of Noah were like, they were mocking, they were partying, and they were drinking in daily routines. And then swift judgment came unexpectedly. And only eight people got on the ark. Only eight. They, they were mocking his return. And, and, and this is what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to pray this. And, and whenever Jesus tells us to pray something, we better be doing it. He says in, in Luke 21:36, he says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may, that you meaning you and I, be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. He's saying that we need to be praying that we would be counted worthy of all these things. Jesus says seven times in the book of Revelations to the seven churches, I know your works. I know your works. He says it seven times. Why does he say it seven times? Because he wants us to know. He knows our works. He knows what we think. He knows what we're doing. And then he goes on to say at the last of each church, he says, but they that overcomes, that they that overcome. So what I'm saying is while you got breath in your lungs, you're an overcomer. You can be an overcomer. You are the overcomer. And I, and I found it quite interesting that in Revelations or Revelation chapter 3.22, the church is nowhere to be found. It's nowhere to be found, but as soon as you start to read chapter 4, John writes in verse 1 that he hears a voice like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. Is that not the same revelation that Paul got when he said he heard a trumpet and a voice? So after chapter 3, 22, you don't hear about the church ever again in Revelations because they're not here anymore. They're gone. So I'm convinced after studying the parables of Jesus and the catching away and the gathering together that the rapture is not a blessing for salvation. It's a reward for faithfulness. 
to, the, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Others will have to endure the seven-year tribulation and purify their garments and be raised at the end of the tribulation. This is why it is so important that us believers develop a repentant heart daily. Daily. Not, not every Sunday, not once a year at the Christmas convention. It's, it's, it's daily. It's daily. You don't know when you've fallen short of God's word. You don't know if you've offended somebody. You don't know if you, you us, you know, the men, if you look and lusted over a woman or you look too long. I'm, I'm, I'm getting real here. I'm just, I'm saying because we need to be ready. I've failed God and you've failed God, but God's never failed you or I, not ever. And it says, this is what King Solomon says. This, he's the wisest man who ever lived. Let's listen to his words at the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 12, 13 through 14. And this is what he writes at the end. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hebrews 4.12 says that, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. And, is a, and he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And then we read in verse 13, he says, the New Living Translation says, Nothing in all creation could hide from him. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. This is the God to whom we must give an, an to whom we must explain all that we have done. Jesus tells us, by your words, you'll be justified or condemned. Nothing in between. Everything that I've said, everything that you've said, and anything we haven't got, on, got under the blood and confessed it, we're going to face it again. We're going to face it again. As I was preparing this message, I was at the kitchen sink and I was looking at the out the window. I live up in the up in the mountains, and I was I was watching this squirrel. It was running up and down this tree, and it was just a little tiny guy. It was a little gray squirrel, and I just thought it was cute. But as I was watching, it would run up the tree, and it would grab onto a pine cone, chew on it. It would fall, and he would run down the tree, collect all the seeds, gather them in his mouth, and run, bury him, and then come back. And I was so amazed. And how this squirrel knew that winter was approaching. I mean, he knows that he needs to start getting ready. He's, he's getting ready and getting prepared. But as I was seeing that, the Holy Spirit told me this. He said that you're watching this squirrel, and even though you think that's important, how much more important is it that my children know the signs of the times and they know my coming? Because as this squirrel knows... We need to be watchful, and we need to be ready. We need to be watchful and praying. Because you, you may be sitting here right now, and you don't, you don't think God's word is true. You think it might be an allegory, all the prophecies, and, and, and you don't think that God's word is true. But the Bible is not just another book. It's not just some textbook that we put on the shelf and let dust collect on it. This book right here is a will. It's a will. As a father writes a will for his, his children, 
God has written a word for you and I. This is his will for us. And if, if we're too lazy to open this thing and see what's in it, to see the will that God has for you and I, I mean, when you, when you come to the cross, you don't just receive salvation. You, you've been engrafted into what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had. The blessings that he got, you and I got when we come to the cross. So I'm telling you, this book right here is a book of staggering prophecies. There is no other book on the face of the earth that even tries to, to tell the future as the Bible does. When this book was written over a 1,600-year period, 25% of it was prophetic, meaning it foretells the future with 100% accuracy. No other book even tries to do that. It tells us about Jesus' birth in Daniel 9. It gives us the exact time of his birth, or it gives us the fact of the virgin birth in Isaiah 7. Born in Bethlehem in Micah 5, 12 exact details of his life and death are given clearly in Psalms 22, 53. And the fact of the resurrection is given clearly in Psalm 16. A one world-class mathematician has calculated there could be one chance in 87, followed by 93 zeros that that was the byproduct of guess. In other words, it defies the no hypothesis of probability, meaning there is no guesswork in it. As far as proof is concerned, it's a fact. So don't gamble your soul on those kind of odds. Jesus Christ is the only one that came to this earth that divided time 2,012 years ago. No other man in history ever even tried to do that. So I'm telling you right now, you might be sitting here right now and you're going through hell on earth. I'm telling you, God knows. God knows. Just like he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, where are you? Where are you? Where art thou? Where art thou, my daughter, my son? Where are you? I haven't seen you in weeks. I haven't heard you pray. I haven't heard you pray in months. I used to hear you walk outside and pray and call my name, but, but now where are you? Now where are you? Come to me. Come to me. God's telling each and every one of us in here right now, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What God's done in my life, he'll do for you. God took me from the guttermost to the uttermost. He'll take you. He'll change you. He'll, he'll make you, he'll, he'll plant you by streams of living waters. God's trying to say, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. What's hindering you? What's hindering you? He's saying, call on me. I'm here. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I did at the Sea of Galilee, I'll do it again. I'll do it for you. Call on me. God doesn't respond to your need. He responds to your faith that you have in him. You don't go to God and say, Look at my great need, God. You know, you go to him and you say, look, I believe that you can do it. That you're the God of all possibility. That nothing's impossible to those that believe. Look, Father, I believe that, that nothing's impossible to those that believe. Your word says in Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes I am now being healed. I thank you, Lord, for that healing that you're sending me. I thank you, Lord, for that financial victory you're giving me. It is the Lord that gives us the power to get wealth. And when you start believing that, nothing is impossible unto you. The devil wants you to think that you can't do anything, that you're just defeated, that, that, that nothing, you can't do it. And God's saying, that's absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. If you got one chance, or if you got one ounce in your heart right now, God will forgive you of all of your sins. 
He'll forgive you. But Satan, I see it all the time when I go in the jail. These guys are hindered. They're just sitting there, and they just don't think that there is nothing for them to do, that God would never use them. And that's not true at all. God used Moses. Moses was a murderer, but God used him to liberate the people out of Egypt. King David was a murderer. He was a blasphemer, or not a blasphemer. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer with, with Bathsheba. And he was a failure at, an, at, at a father with Absalom. But God used him to establish the city of Jerusalem. And then you've got Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. He's on the road to Damascus. He has one encounter with Jesus Christ. And, 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 and says, I will arise and do the works of God. And you went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. None of those men could have joined any church in this county. But God used them to shake the, na- the world. And they're still doing it. So if God can use them, he'll use you. You just got to know what he thinks about you. And he loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. More than you'll ever know. Let's all bow our heads right now in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> you might be sitting here right now, and you're thinking, I want to know God. I want to know God like he knows me. I want to know him like he knows me. Father, I've just been, I've been living a life of ruin, and I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That's something that I prayed one, one time in my life, and God showed up. He showed up. I didn't have anything to offer him. It was just a life of failure. I laid in a hospital bed in 1991 at Sutter Memorial Hospital waiting heart surgery. And I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know Jesus. And as I laid there, I thought to myself, who is this Jesus? Who is this God? I hear him in vain. I hear their names in vain constantly in my house, but I have no idea who he is. And as I laid there needing a miracle, I had a doctor come in and tell me that I was going to have open heart surgery and there's a chance that I could die. They might not be able to get my heart going again. And I just laid there and I said, God, I said, God, I don't know if you're real. But if you can use me, if you can use me, use this life, I have nothing to offer you but a life of failures. I I rejected all types of authority. I rebelled against my parents. I was doing drugs. I was stealing cars. I was living a life of ruin. And now God God has a hold of me right now, and I'm calling out to him. And within 20 minutes of saying that prayer, visiting hours were over. I laid in that hospital bed, and I heard footsteps coming down the hallway. And as the footsteps got closer to my room, I thought it was another nurse coming in to check my pulse, check my signs. And I looked, and there was a man standing in the doorway with a book. And he came to my bedside. And he started to tell me about Jesus Christ. He started to tell me that God loved me. He started telling me all these things. I didn't ask him one question. He gave me such a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I'm telling you right now, God's not a respecter of persons. What he did for me, he'll do for you. But you got to be willing and you got to you got to confront you got you got to confront the the sin in your life. You got to confront whatever it is that's hindering you. But you got to call on him and he'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you were to die tonight, 
Your last breath here is your next breath over there. The Bible says that Jesus said to the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Your, your last breath here is your next breath over there. Whether it's in heaven or hell, you're going to make that decision here on earth. And I'm asking you right now, if you don't know Jesus, or you're just playing church, and you don't know him, I want you to raise your hand right now. I want you to raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed if you're here. Or maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you don't know the Lord, and you want to get right with him. Just lift your hand right now. We're all right with God. Amen. We're all ready to go. We're watching. Amen. Amen. All right, let's all pray. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. I ask you to help me to watch and be ready for your appearing. Help me to fulfill the call and the purpose that you have on my life. Father, give me a mouth unto wisdom in which your adversaries would not be able to contradict or resist. Help me to be a witness for Jesus Christ, a disciple of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.